Good morning, Living Water. Are you happy to be in God's house today? I sure hope you are. I, I am. It's always good to be able to see your faces, your smiling faces. Hint. It's good to be in God's house. We can be joyful. As David said, 1 Samuel, turn with me to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24, and uh, please don't play on your phones while I'm preaching. It's really hard for the preachers to see that. So um, David had mentioned that in the first service, and I said it reminded me of a story. One time a preacher was preaching, and he noticed in the middle of his sermon there was an older gentleman on the back row just sound asleep. And so the preacher stops the sermon, and he just he tells the young man sitting next to the, the guy that was sleeping, he says, hey, do me a favor, elbow that guy and wake him up. And he said, you wake him up. You put him to sleep. So... I'll do my best to not put you to sleep today. Um, God's Word can be exciting. I don't think that should be a boring sermon. Amen. So um, with that, we're looking at this life of David, uh, this series called Crucible. And we're looking at these moments, these pivotal moments in David's life that reveal the character of this man that was after God's own heart. Um, and so just to kind of recap everybody, a crucible um, in, the, in the basic sense of the term is just this little device here that can withstand great amounts of heat. And a jeweler might put something in there, and they crank the heat up, and that heat goes hotter and hotter and hotter, and a process of separation happens. Things begin to separate, and the trash or the dross begins to float to the top, and a good jeweler will just scrape that junk off the top and get rid of it once and for all. And the idea is that God sits as a refiner of silver over our lives. There's plenty of verses in the Bible that speak of God as a refiner of our hearts. And I've said before that God is in the character development business and he cares more about your sanctification than even you do. He loves you right where you're at, but he refuses to leave you there, right? And so through a process um, in life of crucible moments, tests, trials, it's God's way of revealing what's on the inside of each and every one of us. I'll be surprised sometimes we go through something and we see ugly stuff come out of us that we didn't know was in there. Anybody else have that problem? Where did that come from? Wow. Woo. God, I guess I need some work still, right? But God does that to reveal what's on the inside. But it also, um, for David's life, it would reveal the character that was already there. David was not a perfect man, but he was the man that was after God's own heart. And so in the crucible moments of our lives, I've said that this is the vehicle that God uses to grow us in our faith. Crucible moments. Another uh, definition is a severe test or a, a place or a situation in which concentrated forces interact to cause or influence change or development. God is wanting to develop and to change our character. As I said a moment ago, he loves you right where you're at, but he refuses to leave you there. Uh, so this series has been all about that, the crucible moments. The opportunities that come up that God uses to reveal what's inside of us. And we have a choice in that moment. The, the title is Choices That Change Your Life Forever. In the crucible moments, we can choose to allow that work to have its work in our life. And the junk that comes to the top, we can be done with it once and for all. Or we can ignore those little um, impurities, if you will, in our character. And in time, it'll just settle back down as it cools back off and it's still inside us. And so hopefully we choose wisely in the crucible moments. So... In David's life, we've so far looked at this idea that God doesn't look at the outward appearance of man. We're good at that. We look at the outward appearance. Man, that looks like a, a solid dude or a reputable individual. But we learn that God looks at the inside. God looks at the heart of man. And we looked at image versus character. David was a man of character. He said, I'm looking for a man that's after my own heart. And later in life, even after David's sins and David's big blow-ups, God said, that's a man after my own heart. 
God looks at the heart of man and not the outward appearance. And last week, we looked at this contrast in David's life, what fear of Saul, King Saul, versus the faith of David, this young shepherd boy who steps up on the battlefield after they've been in a standoff for days. And he steps up and he takes out the giant, right? And we talked about how fear can be contagious, but also faith can be contagious. And David steps up in a big way in faith. And so in that moment, in that crucible moment, standing before a giant, David steps up in great faith. Not a blind faith or a, a faith that's in a vacuum, but a faith that is just on the foundation of God's faithfulness in his past. And we talked about how we need to look back at times in our lives when we're facing a crucible moment. You know what? God was faithful with me in the past. Why would I think he wouldn't be faithful with me in the future? Amen? Are you with me so far? So today we're kind of carrying on in David's life, and now we're at another crucible moment. A test, if you will, of David's character. David is going to be set up for the perfect opportunity to right a wrong. The circumstances are going to just line up in David's favor, and he's going to be able to take care of a problem immediately, but David doesn't take that opportunity. And so today's message is circumstance versus truth. And it takes place in chapter 24, but let me get us caught up from there. So um, we last left David when he slayed Goliath. Um, and then it says that David immediately formed this really deep relationship with Jonathan, Saul's son. They became good friends. And then Saul, the king, puts David in charge of the armies. And David was successful at every campaign. He was the man, the warrior, right? And so it says, as he became more and more skilled and more famous and more successful, um, he developed this little cheering squad. And so they would sing the song, hey, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Well, the problem is King Saul didn't like that very well, and it developed this jealousy in him. How I many you know jealousy can be a dangerous thing? So it says that Saul became very angry, and from that point on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. He's jealous of David's success. And so over and over and over, you'll see through chapter 18, 19, 20, all the way to 24, Saul takes several opportunities to try to kill David. David, the one that just killed Goliath, right? Because of jealousy, Saul wanted to take him out. And so at one point, it says that he was tormented. Saul was tormented by an evil spirit, and David was in the habit of playing his harp, would soothe the king, you know, when he was being tormented. And it says at one point, Saul took his spear and he flung it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. He tried to kill him more than one occasion. Then he talked to his servants and even his son that they should assassinate David. It gets so bad that David has to, he has to just run. And so he's on the lamb, and I was looking this up this morning, and scholars believe it was approximately about eight years of running for David. I don't know about you, but that would get old real quick. So eight years of running, looking over your shoulder, wondering where is Saul at now, who's going to betray me, which friends might turn on me and tell him where I'm at, eight years of running from Saul. And so in chapter 24, it says in verse 1, After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel, and he went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds. So it says Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Um, translation, he needed to go to the bathroom. Hebrew says to let down his outer clothing. He's using the restroom, right? It says, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. It must have been a big cave for David at this point to have 400 to 600 men that were accompanying him. 
They're in this cave deep back in the back, and Saul, the king, is now exposed in front of them at the entrance of the cave. Listen to what verse 4 says, and I'm going to do it the way they would have done it. Now's your opportunity, David. Right? King Saul's there. He says they whispered to him, today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. Stop right there. What would you do? What would I do? You could certainly make the case of self-defense, couldn't you? I mean, this guy's actively trying to kill me. And listening to the friend's counsel, it'd be easy to make the, you know, to come to the conclusion that maybe this is a God opportunity, this circumstance that would align just perfectly right here, right now. The ones on the outside of the cave might not know what's going on, but on the inside, David and his men are here, and these guys are in his ear saying, hey, here's the perfect opportunity to deal with the problem. Can I suggest that we also face situations in life, maybe not as, as, as severe as what David is at in this moment, but it's still an opportunity where we're faced with a decision. Circumstances align just right. I've been wanting this job forever and ever and ever, um, and it looks like it's mine. All I have to do is fudge the numbers a little bit. All I have to do is lie on the application a little bit. You know, all I have to do is kind of twist the truth a little bit, and it's mine. What do we do? And here's what we need to know if you don't get anything else today. Here's what we need to get from this sermon today is that whenever we are faced with a decision, not every opportunity is a God opportunity. Can I say that again? Not every opportunity, not every circumstance is God's will. And so we need to run that through, if you will, kind of this little check system. And I think that's what we can glean from David and his response today as he responds to this opportunity. Let me say first off that we need to evaluate the advice that we get from our friends. Amen? And like your friends, I mean, they mean well, and they're like, David, this is your perfect opportunity. And, and we need to evaluate the advice and the counsel that we get from friends because sometimes your friends, meaning well, can put you in a world of hurt. Honey, I know you've been trying to date for years, and I found the perfect guy for you. Uh-uh. Right? Your friends might mean well, but they can mess you up. Hey, I get this financial opportunity. All it's going to take is 20 grand. Put it in here. We're going to be successful. And next thing you know, you make the decision. And boom, bada bing, bada boom. We have these problems. And so we should evaluate the advice that we receive from our friends. The Bible says in the multitude of counsel, there's safety. Amen? In the multitude of counsel, that is to go to people who trust God, who are following God, and say, hey, here's the situation. What would you do? What should I do? In the multitude of counsel, there is safety. So listen to what David's friends convinced David to do. His counsel, the, the one whispering in his ear, hey, this is a perfect opportunity. He says, today the Lord is telling you, I haven't found anything else in Scripture where God has told David yet that he would hand his enemies over to do whatever he wants. We know that David was successful over his enemies, but in this moment, at this time, his friend sees it as an opportunity to say, hey, God's telling you this is the time. This is a perfect opportunity. God is giving your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. And so this counsel motivated David to do something as innocent as it was to have regret. What does it say he did? So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Now, I want you to know that that little detail tells me that he was close enough to take care of the problem. I would remind you that a chapter earlier, David stops off to see one of the high priests, and he gets the, 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 the sword that he took from Goliath after he killed Goliath. He now has Goliath's sword in his possession. 
And so in the darkness, he creeps forward and he cuts off a little piece of the garment of King Saul. That tells us that he was absolutely in a position to take care of the problem. And it could have been over with. He'd be the king the next day. The 400 and 600 men that were with him would have been all right with that too because they were on the run as well, right? Because they're affiliated with David. And so everybody is screaming at him, this is your opportunity, David, do it. And so David slips forward and he takes a piece of the robe, but then he begins to feel convicted. It says in verse 5, but then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. Listen to what he said to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him, so David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. David was anointed as king earlier on, right? When Samuel came and anointed David as the next king of Israel. You could certainly make the case that, hey, listen, I know Saul was the king, but God rejected Saul. David, you're the next guy. And Samuel, remember the prophet of God has already anointed you king, and so it's rightfully yours. Do it. But listen, not only was David anointed as king, so was Saul. Samuel, the same prophet, anointed Saul as king as well. And so David's response was, I can't do this. I can't attack the Lord's anointed, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. It says, after Saul left the cave and went on his way, David came out and shouted after him, my Lord and my king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Now, just for a moment, can you imagine what it would have been like to be Saul and to think, that was close. He was right there in the cave. David comes out and shouts before him and says, why do you listen to the people who say that I'm trying to harm you? This, to this very day, you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. They're lying about me. Why are you listening to the lies? For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. I mean, I had you. He placed you in my mercy. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you've been hunting me down, trying to kill me. Later he says, who's the king of Israel afterwards anyways? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? I love this because in this moment, it's a, it's, it's a crucible moment for David. It's a decision or it's a, a test, if you will. An opportunity right before him, a circumstance where everything would align so that he could right a wrong. And in that moment, he chose, rather than the circumstance, he chose truth. And I think there's a lesson for all of us in that. That when we're faced with a decision, if that decision causes us to violate our conscience or the truth of God's word and his character, that's a big no for me. Amen? That's where we should be. When making decisions, it's like, all right, let's, let's line this up or run it through this, this grid of what does God's word say? What would God want me to do? Because how many of you know character is who you are when no one else is looking? It's easy to do the right thing when there's witnesses, but when you're alone and whenever you have the opportunity to do something... God knows, and if it violates his truth or your convictions yourself, then it should be a a big no. And so here's a a few things that I think I want us to get today from this story, and and I'll go on to chapter 26 because opportunity didn't knock just once, but it knocked a second time. 
Well, in fact, let's just go ahead and go over there. Chapter 26, again, verse 1, it says, Now Saul, some men from Ziph came to Saul at Gibeah to tell him, David is hiding on the hill of Hekelah, which overlooks Jeshmon. Don't you wish it was like Canyon, Amarillo, Claude, you know, names like that? No, we get these weird names. So Saul, Saul took 3,000 of Israel's elite troops, and he went to hunt him down in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul camped along the road beside the hill of Hekelah near Jeshimon, where David was hiding. When David learned that Saul had come after him in the wilderness, he sent out spies to verify the report of Saul's arrival. David slipped over to Saul's camp one night to look around. Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army, were sleeping inside a ring formed by the slumbering warriors. Who will volunteer to go in there with me, David asked. Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother. I'll go with you, Abishai replied. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep. Opportunity. With his spear stuck in the ground beside his head, Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him. Here it is again. Opportunity. This time, Abishai says, God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time. I mean, you had the opportunity earlier in the cave, and you didn't take it. God is surely showing you that now is the time. He's delivered him to you, you, into your hands a second time. He says he whispered to David, and just because he knew that David wouldn't do it, he said, hey, David, I got something for you. You won't even have to lift a hand. I'll do it for you. Right? So he says, let me pin him to the ground. With one thrust of the spear, I won't need to strike twice. David, let's take care of the problem. David, this guy has relentlessly pursued you for a long time. And God has now delivered him into your hands again. Let's take him out. Let's deal with the problem. And all the other guys that were running with him would have been A-OK with that, but not David. Because as you look deep into the recesses of David's heart, you see a man who is more in tune with God than the circumstances. He says, I, I can't violate God's truth. Look at what he says. No, verse 9, David said, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Again, God's anointed Saul through Samuel. Surely the Lord will strike Saul someday, um, or he will die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. But take his spear and that jug of water beside his head, and let's get out of here. So David took the spear and the jug of water that were near Saul's head. Then he and Abishai got away without anyone seeing them or even waking up because, listen to this, the Lord had put out, or excuse me, had put Saul's men into a deep sleep. The Lord put them in a deep sleep. It, it looks like all the stars are aligning, if you will. All the circumstances are ripe. It's like God is totally in this. They're dead asleep. It's your perfect opportunity. Of course, we know they get back across the river and he starts to harass one of the bodyguards of Saul. I think as you look at this, you see these opportunities that are in front of Saul and how he responded to that. And there's three things that I, I see in here that I want us to just focus on for a moment. First off, he trusted in God. The circumstances were there, and it would have been easy for him in his own power to take care of the problem. And, you know, most people probably wouldn't have bothered him. They knew he was anointed as king, and they would have probably been okay with it. But his conviction, his conscience would not allow him to do that. He trusted in God. In fact, there's several psalms that are written during David's um, time of running from Saul. There's a handful of them. Um, and just to kind of show you the weight of what David might have been feeling, listen to this one that he wrote while he was on the run, Psalm 31. 
Have mercy on me, Lord. I'm in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. I'm dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength. I'm wasting away within, from within. I'm scorned by all my enemies and despised by my neighbors. Even my friends are afraid to come near me. When they see me on the street, they run the other way. I am ignored as if I were dead, as if I were a broken pot. I've heard the many rumors about me, and I'm surrounded by terror. My enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life, but I am trusting you, O Lord, saying, you are my God. My future is in your hands. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me down relentlessly. Have you ever felt that kind of weight? God, I'm so sick of being broke. I just need a break. God, I'm so tired of being lonely. And I believe there's someone out there for me. And God, I just, I'm tired of living this way. This person hurt me so deeply. I don't know that I'll ever recover from it. And from there, these opportunities, one by one, begin to present themselves. An opportunity to take a shortcut. It's like, you know what I'm going to do is just lie here, lie there. The job is mine. All I have to do is just the first one that comes away, like, hey, we're in a relationship and things don't go well. And you have all these situations that come up from just not being patient with God. And, or maybe we try to take matters in our own hands when we are hurt. Well, I've been hurt a few times. And I can tell you the temptation is real. But the Bible reminds us, and I'm sure David remembered that, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Leave that up to God. God's the better judge than I am. Amen? So what did David do? David trusted in God. Look at also Psalm 57, another one of those great psalms that came from this time. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God whom will fulfill his purposes for me. He will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. Have you heard the idiom that says the end justifies the means? The end justifies the means. What that means when we say that, it's used to say that a desired result is so good or important that any method, even a morally bad one, may be used to achieve it. Interpretation, hey, I know you're feeling a little convicted about this whole king thing and being anointed by God, but man, the, the ends justify the means. David, we've got to get rid of the threat. We've got to get rid of the problem. All you've got to do is take care of it. And in the end, it'll justify the means. But that's why we're talking about David and not shame. Amen? <laughs> that's why this series is looking at him and, and how he responded in the crucible moments of his life. Because in these moments, it reveals this man who had a heart that was after God. And in the moment when most of us would take the shortcut, most would give in to the counsel. Like it, just, it, it looks obvious in front of you. Here's the opportunity. Take it. David says, wait a minute. i got to line that up with truth. And it doesn't sit right with me. How many of you know that we would save ourselves a whole lot of hurt, pain, and hardships if we would just pause and run that through that same grid? God, here's this opportunity. What do you want me to do? God, this, this seems too good to be true, but man, I know what your word says over here. And to do this, I mean, I have to kind of just close my eyes to what your truth says. And what we see from David is David trusted God. He knew that God had a purpose for his life, and he was willing to let God handle it all. Even when it felt like it was a hopeless situation. On the lamb, eight years, he's still saying, you know what, 
I know God's purpose is for me. And he's my protection. He'll defend me. I know a, a pastor who passed away several years ago, um, a good friend, and I always was admired by this one statement he made. When he found out that someone else was running their mouth about the pastor, who does, really? You run your mouth about the pastor? Wow, that's sort of crazy. So somebody was talking bad about him. You know what he'd say? He'd say, God is my defense. And I admired that. I thought, man, that is so cool because Shane is young enough and still dumb enough that I want to throw hands. I'm just saying, right? I'll show them. I'll lay hands on them in Christian fellowship in a really good solid way. You know? But I mean, not this guy. He was like, hey, God's my defense. God's my defense. I don't need to defend myself. God's the one that's in control. My purpose is in his life, I trust him. He is my defense. I love that. David shows he could have chosen the fast track to the promise that God had given him. Hey, you're going to be the next king. He could have gotten rid of the problem on the spot in a moment. He could have been king the very next day, but it was not right in the heart of the young man because he knew his time had not yet come. It was not right in his heart. It violated his conscience. It violated the truth. He knew God had a plan. How often we find ourselves rushing to God's promises, even when God says, not yet, not now, or wait patiently. Sometimes God holds back promotion, breakthrough, or blessings to deal first with our character. Again, I said God's in the character develop business, development business. And in David's story here today, we see this opportunity where David's going to be the king, but how are you going to get there? We see it also in Jesus' life, right? Jesus was tempted early on in the wilderness. Hey, just do these things and you'll be on top of the world. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. He was patient. He knew God had a plan. David models that. God is revealing what's in the heart of this young man. And what is revealed in the crucible moment is a man who is grounded on the truth. Had he rushed things, he might have done more harm than good. And would have likely become no more than version 2.0 of King Saul. Oh, and he would have probably been convicted about it and carried a lot of guilt. But we know that David was patient with the Lord's plan, and we know the rest of the story that King Saul was killed in battle, and David then assumes the, the throne of Israel, and it was welcomed by all of Israel. David trusted in God. We should trust in God as well. Amen? David also displayed a, a deep humility. I love the, the comment that he makes, like, why are you chasing me anyway? I'm like a dead dog or a flea. I mean, like... To have a right estimation of yourself. You're the king. I'm not the king. Why are you chasing after me? I'm, no, I'm not going to threat you. I'm not going to hurt you. See, the problem with, you know, the opposite of humility is pride. And pride comes before a fall. Pride tells us that we deserve it. Pride tells us that, you know what, I deserve this break. I, des- I deserve this promotion. I deserve that money or that wealth or that relationship to be happy. I deserve this. That's what pride does. But we see modeled in the life of David is humility. It's like, you know what? God's got a plan. I'm not the one in control of it. We could really learn from that today, man. God has a plan, and I'm not the one that's in control of it. And so, God, what is your plan and your purpose for me? David respected Saul, even though Saul was trying to kill him. He respected his position. He was in that position for a reason and for a season, and he knew that. And if you fast forward just a couple thousand years to Romans 13.1, we're told to respect authority because that authority has been put into place by God. Harder when we hear it, isn't it? He showed deep humility in that crucible moment. And lastly, he showed patience. And I know this is something that we, none of us struggle with, is patience. Um, someone said, God, I need you to help me with patience, and I need it now. Right? 
That's the way we are. We have fast food restaurants. We have everything just like this. We need it now. And if it's not here now, then somebody's going to, I'm calling somebody's boss. We demand immediacy, don't we? It's like it doesn't work when God's coming. God's like, oh, so you're mad about it? All right, well, let me just wait another second. I will remind you that a day is as a thousand years to the Lord. So when God says, okay, hang on a second. <laughs> Joke's on you because it's going to be a while. So the reality is, is like we need to be patient with the process. Maybe God is, he, he did the same thing with uh, Joseph. You remember Joseph was told early on how great he was going to be, but it was years before he would become the second most powerful person to Pharaoh. Right? There's a, a long distance between his dream and the fulfillment of that dream. The same thing is true. God's got a purpose and a plan for David. He will be king, but David just simply has to be patient with the process. And I believe that God does the same in our life. God's got a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And how many times do we try to short-circuit God's plan? God's a little busy right now, or he seems to be taking a little bit too much time. Let me help him out. That's when we get in trouble, right? So David shows us this great patience to know that, you know what? God's got a plan. I'm going to trust him. He's my defense. He's my protector. I hide beneath the shadow of his wings until the danger passes by. Now, I don't know how this speaks to you, but the reality is, is every one of us are faced almost daily with decisions to make. Someone offends you, and you get the opportunity to get them back. Oh, prime opportunity, right? What do you do? How do you respond? Promotion comes your way. Hey, man, this is a little shady. Don't talk to your mom and dad about it, but there's a really good idea. You can make some really good money over here. What do you do with it? As a follower of Christ, how do we respond to those situations? Hey, man, God wants you to be happy. And you deserve to be out there dating. And so, hey, I found this guy who would be perfect for you. Time out as a dad. Please don't. Run it through the grid of God's word and truth. When you have this circumstance versus truth, I would hope that as we grow in our faith that we'd always lean on truth. Even if it costs us the promotion. Even if it costs us that relationship delayed. You'll be happy that you did, by the way. Even if it feels like the person that offended you is getting away with another one, just remember, you know what? God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And he's much better at it than we are. So when it comes to these crucible moments in our own lives, let's model our lives after David and see the opportunity in front of us and say, before I make my decision, before I make a choice that can change my life forever, if God is revealing this character in me, how will I respond? Do I really trust God? God, you're my defense. God, you're my provider. God, you're my protector. God, your plans are not like my plans. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Here's how I think you should do it. But God says, no, 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 I've got a, a whole other thing you're even thinking about. That's my ways. God, I just trust you to bring to fruition that which you've planned for me. I know you have a purpose for my life, and I just simply want to trust you. What did David do? David trusted God from a humble position. He was patient with the process, and we know the end of the story Everything that God had promised to him did come true. I think the same thing is true for us. We could save ourselves a lot of heartache and pain if we would simply just pump the brakes in those crucible moments and say, wait, before I respond, does this violate my, my conscience? Does this violate what I was raised up to believe is truth in God's word? Does this go against what God's word tells me to do? And if it does, it's probably not a decision I need to make. Amen? Oh, that we would respond. The same way that we'd be people who in the crucible moments, when the circumstances in front of us, they would say, you know what? I don't care who's watching. God's watching. And my conviction, I don't want to sleep with that at night. And so I'm going to choose God's ways over my circumstance. 
and I'm going to trust him with the process. And when we do that, my friends, we're, we're, we're growing in our faith. God's revealing another one of those characteristics in us. And he's saying, hey, good job, good job. Father, I thank you for your word and the challenge in your word today. I thank you, God, that you, you don't leave us on this planet to just figure things out on our own. Lord, you give us your scriptures. You give us your Holy Spirit to guide us. You give us examples in scriptures of other people who nailed it. And Lord, while I'd be quick to admit that David wasn't always perfect and he made his share of mistakes, Lord, I have to say I'm impressed with his decision to not take advantage of the circumstance that was before him, even though it would have been beneficial to him and everyone else. We see in his crucible moment how he trusted in you and he was patient with your process in his life. And Father, I think that there's just a big truth that we can hang on to there. And so when we're in the middle of those moments, Help us to always remember that even though our friends might mean well, that we should always weigh their counsel Lord, against your word. And if it violates your word, God, then we need to reject that counsel. But to seek counsel that's godly, that would, would, would direct us in a way that honors you, Father, that we would trust you, that you do have a process. I think sometimes we forget that, that you have a master plan and you know all things. And so God, I pray that you would just give us a, an understanding that you're in control and somehow you're going to bring, it, bring us through it. I pray that you would develop within us a humility that understands that it's not about me. When we get away from this attitude that says, I deserve it. Because if we got what we deserve, God, we would all inherit hell because your word says the wages of sin is death. But Father, the good news this morning is the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And God, we thank you for the gift of your grace, for salvation, for giving us what we didn't deserve and not giving us what we did deserve. God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And from that position, as someone who trusts in you, God, I pray that when we approach situations in life and the circumstances are in front of us, that we would respond in a way that reflects that we truly do trust you. That we would respond in a way that reflects that God, we, we see a bigger picture. We understand that even though we may not understand it fully that you do, and that we're just simply patient with the process. God, for the times when we blow it, for the times we step out ahead of you, we run ahead of you, and we take matters in our own hands, and then we get this big old mess that we have to deal with. God, forgive us in that moment where maybe it was a test put before us and we failed that test. Help us in the crucible moments of our lives. Father, in these decisions and these circumstances that we will always tr choose truth over the circumstances knowing that nobody else may ever see it but we know that you do and God that's where I'm aiming I'm not aiming at the, 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 the applause and the praise of man God I want to hear you say well done so Father would you please make that um, just sink into our hearts and our minds as we go out this week and I humbly ask it in Jesus name Amen